This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you are listening to episode eight, and I'm talking with Miranda Anderson. Miranda is the founder of Live Free Creative. She's also the author of the book, More Than Enough. In her book, she talks about the year that her and her family decided to go an entire year without any unnecessary shopping. Such a cool story. She's an author, a speaker. She has her own podcast. She's a minimalist, but she does it in a very realistic way, which I love. And in this episode, we give you all tips for how to start small and live a little more simply with less stuff in your life. My bet is you're going to leave this conversation ready to clean out a closet, ready to get rid of some unnecessary junk in your life. I always tell my kids that stuff doesn't matter, people matter. And that is just a common, common thing we talk about every single day because I already see my kids wanting stuff and thinking that stuff is going to make them happy. And that is just part of our culture here in America. And it's really hard to teach them otherwise when we're living that way ourselves. So I was super inspired by this conversation with Miranda and I hope that you will be too. If you do love this episode or any of the episodes you've listened to, make sure you head over to your podcast app of choice and leave us a rating and review so that new listeners can find us. All right. Enjoy my conversation with Miranda Anderson. Well, today on Why Is Everyone Yelling, we have Miranda Anderson on the show. Welcome to the show, Miranda. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here, Lindsay. Okay, Miranda. Well, let's let's let the listeners get to know you a little bit. You are the creator of Live Free Creative Company, and I am so like my mind and my heart is so into this like minimalism, simplify your life movement that's kind of been happening in our country, I think, for a while. At least we've been talking about it. Um, and I stumbled upon your Instagram and I thought that you would be such a wonderful guest for the show because you're truly living it and breathing it. And one of the things I love about your um, lifestyle and the way you share with your the people following you is that it you make it feel like it can be attainable and it doesn't have to be this like big, huge thing to simplify and minimalize, minimize things in your life. So um, maybe you can just share with us, you know, what your business really looks like. Yeah. And I'd love just on that last point that you made, I really subscribe to the idea that minimalism and intentional living are things that are supposed to make our lives easier, not harder. Mm. So when people sort of beat their heads against the wall thinking like, oh, I should organize or I should declutter, or I should simplify. If that's like causing a lot of stress, then you, you might want to explore doing it a different way. Because mm. I've found the whole point is to make life easier, right? And so trying to like adhere to some specific someone else's idea of the way it's supposed to look or feel often doesn't bring those results. So, and that goes right into my sort of history. I hilariously am a registered nurse. Okay. That is what I, uh, my schooling was in. I worked for five years teaching diabetes education in outpatient clinics. 
And I loved it. And at the same time, I, my husband and I had started a blog at the very beginning of our marriage, 2007. So we were super OG bloggers. I say we, because Dave started the blog, like technically he set it up on, on Blogspot. Then he handed it over to me and I started sharing online as we all did back then, uh-huh. or, or a lot of people. And I just developed the habit of blogging as a hobby. I had been a longtime journal writer. I started writing a journal when I was nine in third grade. My, you know, Mrs. Roberts handed me one on the first day of school and I kind of was off to the races from there. And I kept a journal really my whole life until I got married. And then I sort of started converting that same desire to share and process through writing on the blog. So I was working and I had the blog going as a hobby and I was I started having kids and we were moving around for school and uh, there came a point when we had been living in the Washington DC area in a small apartment as most young mm-hmm. students do living in the DC area it's super expensive city I loved being there I loved the energy and and sort of the adventure pace of life and and also I could see there was like a time limit on this for mm-hmm. us like we I had two kids I wanted another one um, my husband was working a ton of hours. He's a patent attorney and was just like, I would barely see him some days, let alone like actually have a meal together or hang out together. And and so we decided that we wanted a change. We were going to move to Texas, get a different job that he, you know, worked less hours. And all of a sudden it was like, oh my gosh, we if we move to Texas, we can get a big house mm. on a big giant lot in the country. Like it just felt like, Oh, all of these possibilities open up. I, my kids had learned to ride their bikes, like in the parking lot of our apartment complex. And I, I thought, let's get them outside and give them some space to run around. So we made this shift. We moved out to DC or out to Austin, Texas. We built a house and it feels like big, but it wasn't, I mean, compared to our neighbors, it was a 2,500 square foot house on a half acre, okay. which depending on where in the country you live, that will either sound small or totally, totally, you know, so it was the smallest house in our neighborhood. Honestly, it was the smallest footprint that was even um, offered by the builders, but we had been living in 800 square feet yeah. for the last, you know, several years. And so it felt like a mansion to us. And so we, we, and we loved it. We, we loved the house. We designed it. We had this huge yard. We were, we backed up to a hundred acres of, uh, of preserve land property that we could go hiking in and biking in. And it was just really dreamy. And I, so I had my third baby and around the time I had my third baby and we had this move, it all happened at once, of course, as life mm-hmm. tends to do. I, found myself wondering why, first of all, why I felt like I had so many things happening all the time that I couldn't keep track of them, like all these kids to feed and meals, and it was time to make another meal and then the laundry. And I couldn't keep up with like the holiday decorations. And there's just like so many wheels turning all the time. I felt like I was always chasing something. And layered on top of that was this underlying feeling of just general discontent. And it didn't show up in unhappiness. It showed up in always wanting something new. Mm-hmm. Like I would get a room decorated and then I would like be online and either on Pinterest or scrolling through Instagram and I'd see something that I was like, oh, actually that desk is better than the one that I have. Maybe I should upgrade or I'd like finish, you know, I'd finish something or I'd get to the point where I was like, oh, I feel pretty good about this. And then I'd see something that made me want to change it or to, uh, to, you know, make it a little nicer, a little better. And I felt like I was just constantly in the, I was just headed down the pursuit of more is always going to be better and bigger is better and newer is better. And 
I had this really interesting experience where it was kind of the convergence of things um, where I, at this point, was working as a blogger and I had a, uh, a sponsored post to do with a, a home goods company. And the, the post was all about organization, like organizing your, your cabinets. And so they had given me this big budget. I think it was like three or $400 to go to the store, buy $400 worth of organizing supplies, and then go home and organize my cabinets. Mm. And it sort of struck me for the, for, for the first time as I'm walking around the store, gathering all of these things. And I honestly, I had two shopping carts full. Like I had one uh, ahead of me and one behind me because they were like bins and baskets and things that, you, you know, that took up space. And I was pulling these baskets, spending, you know, $300 on organizational materials to help me simplify mm-hmm. my cabinet. Mm-hmm. And the irony, it was like for the first time, it was right in front of my face. And I thought, this is really silly. Like this, this is the hole that I have gone down that I'm spending a huge amount of money to buy things that I don't need to put the things that I already have that I don't need into. <laughs> yeah. It all looks like a picture I could put on Pinterest. And for what? And so I, I, it was, I was under contract. And so I, I went ahead and I did the post. And as I was like organizing and cleaning and doing this whole thing, I just kept having the thought, we have so much stuff and I still am buying more. We yes. have all of the stuff that I'd forgotten about, that I like didn't remember, that I hadn't used. And I still managed to find something that I hadn't even thought of every time I go to Target. And it was like the light bulb finally turned on for me that maybe I was running the wrong race, that maybe I needed to step back and simplify in the sense of like really simple, not simplifying by making things look prettier, simplifying by maybe stopping the cycle of always needing more and experiment with how that felt. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I like everything you were saying. I was like, yes, yes. Amen. My life, everybody, like most of the people listening feel all those things. I am quite certain. And my mind goes a million places as you're talking because, uh, let me just say this, I recently, actually it was for Mother's Day, I was like, I'm going to get myself the Mother's Day gift of organizing my drawers in the in the kitchen and some of the pantry. So I spent, I don't know, this is embarrassing to say, but just like what you said, I probably spent around $300 on like little bins and, you know, little things to stack things on and just, oh my gosh. And the question there, though, is like, how do you do it with, how do you organize it without getting those organizational things, though? I don't know, you know? Yeah, well, so I think that the problem isn't the organizational tools. Like, I think that that's not the the real problem. I think the real problem is that most of us have too much stuff. Yeah. And I think we start with the the easy, fun part, the part that we automatically like, which is buying more. Yeah. So, we're like, okay, I have to organize all of my stuff. So I'm going to go buy more stuff in order to organize my stuff. And I think if we just flip it around and first of all, start with, do I have more stuff that I need than I use than I like and start with the hard part, which of course is hard. So we don't want to, but the the part that's like, maybe I'm going to pause my shopping for a minute. Maybe I'm going to take a look at what actually lives inside my pantry or inside my cabinets or inside my closet. Maybe I'm going to develop a little bit of an idea of what I want those places to feel like and look like and how I want my life to go that doesn't always mean chasing the next best thing. 
And at that point, like, I feel like there's a point at which you get really comfortable with like, okay, I actually love everything that I have and it does need to be contained, Mm -hmm. you know? But in my experience, most of our things, if we have the, if we have the, like a usable, reasonable amount that like adds value to our life, but doesn't go over where it crosses the line into actually causing more trouble for us than it helps, we probably have sufficient space and sufficient, sufficient organization already, you know? I mean, but there are going to be some things like, obviously you don't just like put Legos, like they stack them all up in a pile. Like they need a box or a bin or something. Uh, but we just organized my son's Legos. Speaking of this, he, we watched the home edit on Uh Netflix, which I think is so fun and it kind of goes right to the heart of what I'm just saying. Totally. Um, they, they don't do a whole lot of editing on the show. I, I imagine they do more in real life, but I think the reason that they don't is because it's hard. It's hard to ask people to get rid of things, even if they don't use them anymore, you know? So, but we watched that show and my son wanted to organize his Legos by color which I was like, oh, good, here we go. <laughs> so um, they were all just in a drawer before. He had one drawer for Legos. And there were, so we dumped out the whole drawer and we, I went to see like, what do I have that we could put these in? I didn't want to go to Target and buy a bunch of new bins. And I noticed that in my storage room, I had a set of three, like of those um, clear kind of mm-hmm. shoebox style containers with the lids on them that had been storing something else in a previous house that I just hadn't gotten rid of because I was like, Oh, we'll probably use these for storage sometime in the future. They were already in my storage room. And so I grabbed those and I said, okay, can we, instead of doing seven different colors, can we divide them into the categories of three? And so he has one bin that's like red, oranges, and yellows, one that's white, blacks, browns, and grays. And then one that's all of the cool colors the blues and greens and purples. And so we, we used what we had to organize what we had And the most hilarious part about this whole thing for me was that he got halfway through organizing by color and was so tired of (laughs) the management. He said, I think that this is all the Legos I need. And he had organized about half of them. And I was like, you, you're good. Like he's, he said, yeah, I don't play with all of them and I don't really want to like organize all of them. So let's just get rid of those ones. And these are fine. So we ended up downsizing our Lego collection by half because he realized maintaining this sort of organizational system was going to take some time that he wasn't willing to contribute. And so it was like such a win-win because he kind of understood, you know, if I want to organize and take care of my things, I have to only have the amount that I actually want to spend that, that energy on. And so we just donated the rest of them and downsized by half. And he has more than enough Legos. Like he's totally fine. And he's had way more fun playing with them now that they're all organized the way he wants. And he has less. So it's like not as distracting and not as hard to find things. You know, all of the reasons that we that we cognitively know that less is more. Mm -hmm. It's so fun to see it actually play out in a real life example with my nine year old, you know, one of the hardest things about getting rid of our stuff I I don't know what it is that we feel so attached to our stuff, right? Is it because we know that we or someone else spent money on it, so we think, oh, I shouldn't get rid of it, or what if I need it later and I don't have to rebuy something? Um, But everybody knows how good it feels to purge. It feels so Mm -hmm. good to purge. So I don't know. I mean, you know, you think back to the whole Marie Kondo movement, like of like, does it bring you joy? You know, all that. Um, But yeah, I guess maybe we can give the listeners some like um, tips for how to decide, like, do I keep this? Do I not keep this? And maybe like even, 
you know, I think I personally get overwhelmed because I know that all my stuff stresses me out, you know, on a sat- Sunday mm-hmm. afternoon when I'm like, oh, I'm going to get the house ready for the week so that everything is organized for the most part. I mean, there's always l- another five loads of laundry, right? <laughs> um, yeah. But always. like, yeah, but I'm like walking around, putting shoes away, doing all things like why does each kid have four pairs of shoes? And I'm not even an overbuyer in my opinion. I don't feel like I shop mm-hmm. that much, but it just all adds up. Yeah. So maybe we can talk about ways to um, start decluttering small because you you think about the big picture and you just get overwhelmed. And if you think, if I could just do one drawer, if I could just do one closet, spend 20 minutes, you know, maybe that would be helpful. No, I think it's, it's totally helpful. I think that we get overwhelmed both by scale, like, oh, I have so much stuff, just general scale. And also by dedicating more time to something that is supposed to, again, be simple. So I have a, I have a great podcast episode about this. It's somewhere in the twenties, I think maybe episode 22, it's called beyond condo, Mm. uh, 10 ways to organize and declutter your stuff. And the reason that I did that episode, it was kind of right when tidying up came on Netflix with Marie Kondo. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, uh, felt, I always like, I love, I feel the same way about the home edit. I I love these shows. And I also am able to see how some of the messaging wouldn't work for me personally. Mm -hmm. And I feel like one of my strengths is being able, I feel I'm not a perfectionist and I feel very free to pick and choose the things that work for me and the things that don't from other people's ideas and philosophies. So I can watch Marie Kondo's show and say, I really see the principles here of owning what brings you joy. However, it will not work for me to declutter my entire house in a two week span. Mm -hmm. Like it just, Mm -hmm. I, I can't give that amount of time to that. And so where someone else might say, I can't do that. So I'm not going to do it at all. I can look at it and say, I understand there's pieces of this that will work for me. So I'm going to find a way to make that work in my life. And what that might look like for me is 20 minutes every Saturday morning until it's done. And in fact, this is something that I do in my online organization. I have a decluttering program that is called Live Free from Clutter, and it only opens a couple times a year. The next session will be in January. It's a five-week program, and one of the weeks we go through, and there's a worksheet in there where people sort of create their own organization plan for their own house, because everyone's house is different. How, how many bedrooms you have, what whether you have a big garage or not, or what the problem area is, all of that's going to be really unique and independent you know, per person. So giving yourself some alternative that actually works for you. And really, one of my very favorite ways to organize and declutter is within the rhythm of my everyday life. And the way that I do that is by never putting something back away that I don't want to own anymore. Mm. So if I'm doing the laundry, one of the laundry is a really easy one because Mm -hmm. like you said, there's always more laundry. We're always doing it. Mm -hmm. So when I'm doing the laundry... If I pull something out of the dryer that either doesn't fit, that has a stain or a rip that's irreparable, or that I just, I'm like, I don't really like this, then I don't fold it and put it back in my drawer. I put it in, I always have a standing donation bin. It's usually just a reusable shopping bag hung on a hook by my door. And we just put stuff in it. And everyone knows in the house when they're done with something or they don't want it anymore, they just toss it in there. And then about once every month or two, I take a quick run to the donation center. And it's so nice and easy because I, I want to only touch those things once. I do the same thing even, you know, obviously, if you're not wearing something, it might not go through the laundry because you're not wearing it. So it's just stuck in your closet. 
So as I'm getting dressed, once in a while, I'll just sort of look through, you know, like kind of go through quickly, like, and I'll pull out like, "Eh, I don't really use this anymore. I should get I should get rid of it and free up this hanger for something else, you Mm -hmm. know. So and it's not like a big I don't sit and think about it. I don't think I'm going to do a big decluttering today. It's really like, oh, here's something that I don't use. We should get rid of it. I'm ruthless about things that are broken. Mm -hmm. Uh, For whatever reason, I, I think my parents are are the opposite. They tend to think like, oh, we'll fix this Mm -hmm. or what if we need a part of it or something? My dad's a a general contractor. He's a super handy guy. My mom's an artist. She's a very creative woman. And so they have these wonderful qualities of being able to really use a lot of things. But for the most part, we think that we're going to do that and then we don't. Totally. So in my house, if something breaks, I get rid of it. Like I, we don't have broken, I don't have broken bowls. I don't have broken electronics. I like if we lose an electronic we recently lost the nintendo switch on a flight and so we came home and all of the stuff having to do with the switch i said do you guys want you know to my boys do you want to buy another switch and they said no we have a different gaming station i said okay let's donate all this then like i don't want all of the extras for things that don't work anymore and that just happens to be something that's very easy for me to get rid of like as soon as it's broken or stained or ripped i'm like that's fine let's just throw it away you know uh, I don't, I don't want to be surrounded by things that don't work. No, that, if that, if anything adds to your stress, it's that, and also like old cords, you do need charging cords for certain things. Like my headphones, when, you know, that I used to go running yeah. with, I need the cord for that. My, my boys have, uh, cords for their headphones, you know, like there's so many cords for so many things. Do you have yeah. a way that you organize your cords? <laughs> yeah, so I do. So I have one, again, it's one of those clear little boxes and. Uh-huh. Um, it's just a clear shoebox style. And we have cords in the shoebox that are known cords. Either we know exactly what they go to mm-hmm. and they're only used sometimes, or sometimes we have extras of things. So for example, we just upgraded our internet. We got a new router. Um, and so when we got rid of the old router, the old router, see, yeah, like that was out. Yeah. But the cord that went with the old router, my husband was like, well, that's a universal Mm -hmm. whatever it was. I don't know what it was, but it's some universal cord. And he said, you can use that with lots of different things. And I said, "Okay, do we have one already? We checked the cord bin and we didn't have one of those. And so I said, "Okay, well, then let's put it in here and we can keep it as like this universal should that case arise. Um, But I don't have more than one of those. Like it's one small box and that's it. And if we, for example, you know, got a different router and we had another cord and we wanted to keep it and we went and looked and we're like, we have one of these already. That's a signal. We do not need another one. We're yeah. good. I don't need 17, you know, of one cord. And I don't think that it's a problem to run out. Like if I need to go buy a new cord, I can go buy a new cord. Right. You know, like I would rather, I think to myself sometimes, would I rather have the mental clutter of just knowing that every time I open this drawer, I'm assaulted by (laughs) cords that I don't need, or would I rather spend $15, you know, should the case arise? And that's like a hypothetical. Like, I don't, I don't even know. Maybe I don't need these ever again, you know? So I I just create a little bit of a, like, I, I think some of it is just abundance mindset, truly just knowing that like everything that I have I can use. And if I'm not using it, I'll be able to find more in the future. I will have, here's the, here's the thought that I love. I will always have everything that I need when I need it. Like just that. And uh, for a lot of people, especially going through my, my program, it's kind of like a one-on-one, I mean, it's a group program, but we do a live 
coaching session each week, a webinar, and then they can do Q&A. And, and so it gets into kind of some personal, you know, what do I do in this particular situation? And it's always funny because everyone feels the same way. Everyone feels like I want to get rid of my seven-year-old box of party supplies. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, I've been, I've been saving. Oh, yeah. We wanted to have another frozen party and I have all the stuff <laughs> for it. And, um, and so I always just ask like, what would happen if you wanted to have another frozen party and that was gone? And they're like, I guess we just go get more. <laughs> like, and it, like that is that feeling. It, it It's just funny because there's this balance between like, is it worth it to just hang on to it? Yeah. And I probably won't use it. Or is it worth it to just say, maybe someone else could use this in the meantime, you know, like maybe I have a neighbor or a friend or someone on like a free group on Facebook, or yeah. maybe someone else could be making use of this stuff and that gets it out of my space. And I can know that if ever I need a frozen balloon again, I'll be able to find one. It'll be fine. You know? Yeah. As you were saying that, I was just thinking of how many times I have been at Target or wherever getting supplies for somebody's birthday and thinking, I think I have extra plates in the attic, but I'm not sure. I think I have extra napkins that are like, yeah, pretty colors, but I'm not sure. So I'll just get more just in case. And then you end up with like 10 boxes of like plastic forks for that are all. And then by that time they're all mismatched and it's like, which is fine. It makes me think of when I used to sew a lot. I love to sew and I ran an Etsy shop. I made custom clothing for about 10 years and custom costumes and I loved it. Oh, and I, I used to do this thing. If anyone is a seamstress who's listening to the show, they will relate 100% because sew, sewers, seamstresses love fabric and you don't need to have a project for it because you know that you're going to eventually want to use it for something. So what we do as a, as a species, sew a species, you collect fabric just knowing that someday you'll use it. Mm. So mm-hmm. I, a few years ago, I was at the point where I had probably, this is, sounds like a joke. I'm, I had over 200 yards of fabric in my fabric stash. And that like would be a point of pride for mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, like I was kind of like, and I loved all of these beautiful pieces of fabric. And I noticed that when I had a project that I wanted to make, instead of shopping my 200 yards of fabric that I'd accumulated over the past 10 years, I would have a very clear idea of what I wanted. And so I would go to the fabric store and get the fabric that I wanted for that particular project. So I was, it was like, I was buying stuff in the background for these hypothetical, Uh unknown, undesignated projects Uh that remained hypothetical, unknown, and undesignated. Because every time I wanted to do something in like specific, I would go get the specific things I needed. And I think that our, so I eventually I ended up uh, I guess about two years ago, donating all but about 10 yards of fabric to a local craft reuse center, which I love. It's a nonprofit here in Richmond. I think almost every major city has something like this. I donated it. I didn't want to just take it to Goodwill. I mean, it was like beautiful, unused, you know, thousands of dollars, probably of fabric. Yeah. I took it to this reuse center where I knew that they then um, provide it to local elementary schools or people can come in and buy it at wholesale prices for crafts. And anyway, so I felt really good about the donation. And so now I have this little tiny box of fabric and I still, every time I need to, I want to make something, I usually buy fabric for the project. And I thought how funny that instead of just having all this stuff that was weighing on me and sometimes honestly making me feel bad, like I would see it and think, Uh gosh, I'm not being resourceful enough. Or I have all these projects that I want to make. And like, when am I going to have time? It was like a kind of a source of like just energy drain that I would feel like I was always behind in my sewing 
because I had all this, these, this fabric for stuff I hadn't used or I hadn't made. And when I finally got rid of it, I realized like, no, I get to be in charge of my own hobbies. Like I'm, you know, I, I can buy something new when I want to make it and make it and then be done. And I think we do that with our general belongings. We sort of like collect things thinking, oh, maybe I'll need this one day or what, you know. And the truth is when you need something, you usually go and get it. Like the, the, the point of needing it is usually your reminder to go find it. Mm-hmm. And we often forget about all the stuff that we already bought for the just in cases. And then we end up with 10 of everything. Oh, totally. And you're like, well, I have an attic for that or I have a basement space. I mean, not everybody listening. We might have listeners in New York City or Washington, D.C., like you were talking about earlier. But a lot of people have that extra space to just store. But then when you walk up into that space, you get stressed out because you see all the things. Totally. Well, and it's money that you spend on things you're not using. Yep. Um, everything that we own, I think about like having a backpack and everything that we own is like a little pebble in our backpack. Whether or not we notice it, it, it weighs on us in some way because we carry the responsibility for those things around with us. And uh, sometimes we think, I can't go on a hike this Saturday because we need to organize the garage or yes. we need to organize or I, you know, like it takes me four hours to do my kids' laundry because they have 87 shirts, mm-hmm. you know? And um, the more that you minimize your baseline belongings, the more you maximize your ability to have money, time, energy, and uh, just resources to develop other areas of your life. Instead of being a stuff manager, you get to go live your life. And that feels so good. I love that. That is awesome. I love exactly what you just said there. Okay, I have to compliment you on one thing because I listened to your episode on the podcast on choosing words and I totally caught it and I don't even know if you realized you did it, but when you were talking about the Home Edit and Marie Kondo show, instead of saying you liked the show, but you Uh said, I like those shows and, and you gave like your other thoughts. Share every with everybody. This is kind of off topic, but I just loved that concept. Share about yeah, that. This is a word swap. It's something that I heard of years ago on um, actually a different podcast, Jess Lively's show. Uh, I mean, this is probably six or seven years ago now. And it hit me really hard that when we use the word but as a conjunction between two phrases, that actually negates whatever we said first. So if you say, I like the home edit, but I don't agree with the way they don't really get rid of things. Mm -hmm. It's basically like saying, I don't really like the home edit. Or like, here's all the reasons that I don't really like it. And so I started practicing swapping the word but for the word and when I want, when I actually do mean both things. I love the show. I, I think it's so fun. And I'm finding that I have to adapt some of the principles in a way that fits better with my own personal philosophy philosophy of decluttering as well as organizing. So uh, I, I have a whole episode on the show. It's called Word Swap. And uh, yeah, it's it's just a great way. I think that it's, again, it's like about abundance mindset. It's like two things can be true that don't feel like they could be true. Uh-huh. You know, you can like things and disagree with some parts of them. It just feels a lot better and a lot more open and sort of like wide armed to me to say all of this can be true it's so much kinder like it just feels so much nicer because yeah when you talk about that and it's like if someone said I like your podcast but you're like all you hear is 
why you don't like my podcast. But if you add, change it to and, it's so good. I don't, I'm like kind of surprised I even caught that you did it. But as soon as you said and, I was like, there it is. I, I got it. <laughs> there it was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, um, I noticed actually I edit my own podcast and I noticed that I use and. Mm. I think I, I, may, I may overdo it because yeah. I use and all the time. No, like, you're thinking, talking, yeah. Yeah. I, I connect everything with an and, but oh. there we go. Um, I know I edit my own podcast too. So you hear all the like little, little things that you always do. And mm-hmm. oftentimes when I'm in an interview, I'll catch myself doing it. Cause I know that I do it from editing. And so I'll just like restart what I said without even telling the guest I'm going to restart it. So the guest might think I'm rambling a little bit, but no, I just know, not. yeah, I just know that I'm going to be cutting something out. Totally. Um, okay. So a couple of questions about things. I'm super curious, and I think that this is topical because we're, uh, you know, we're hitting Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Uh, we have never spent a lot of money or time buying decorations. You know, we have our tree. We buy a, a live tree every year, and you, you, you know, have the ornaments that we've had passed down in our families, but. Um, Last year, we did spend some money on some outdoor Halloween decorations because our boys love looking at all the other houses and their Halloween decorations. But anytime I buy something like that, I'm just like, "Ooh, this feels gross. It's not necessary, you know. But then yesterday, when we were putting everything up, it was so fun and enjoyable. So I think there's like two sides to this, right? Like, are you getting enjoyment out of it? Is your family, is your family getting as you would probably say, an experience out of it. You know, what are the intentions? Mm -hmm. So what is the balance though? Because there is a very, um, there's a, there's a way that we can very easily just collect stuff, 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 and have like 12 Christmas bins and 12 Thanksgiving bins, you know? So what's the best balance you've found? Here's, here's what I think. My definition of minimalism is that you decide what you love and create space for all of the things you love and that you consciously eliminate everything else. Mm. So when I think of that, for example, Halloween decorations, my kids are the same. They love Halloween decorations. And I don't know why, even more than Christmas decorations. Yeah. Like they, there's something about Halloween and kids that they just, they feel like it's their holiday, which it really is, you know? Yeah. So they, my kids are the same way. And the balance that I have found is, what are the decorations that we love that we think are fun to put up that are easy to store? Cause that's a key for mm-hmm. me. I don't want like a giant, you know, so we have all of ours into two bins. I have two Halloween bins. We bring it, bring everything out every year. We, pl- you know, and then we put them all away. I feel like a couple years ago, we, we got to where we had these two bins and my kids get excited about pulling things mm-hmm. out and they know what we, what we have and they think it's all cool. And then they don't really like kids don't, I don't know, my kids, at least they don't really think like, Oh, we should go get a bunch more stuff, you know? Um, and anything, one of my favorite values is creativity. So anything that beyond what we already have that they want to do, we try to make it like, can we cut out a bunch of bats? Uh, can we spray paint some sticks to look like, you know, scary trees? Like what can we do with what we already have to, kind of achieve those things. The other thing that I notice, especially with holiday decorations is that it, it's something that we take out, we use, and then we put away. Mm-hmm. So every single year that gives us a very clear window of opportunity to 
to just take a hard look at what we have. This year, for example, a few of our Halloween decorations from years past, no one really was super excited about. There were like these um, lights, they're like a spider web of lights and they have these little like plastic uh, spiders that glow. But the kids didn't really want to put them up. I didn't really want to put them up. I kind of, I tend to veer away from most electronic type decorations anyway. So I I know they they were something kids really loved when they were younger, but this year no one really liked them. They were just like, oh no, like that takes too much time or they're not really into it. And so that was my cue of like, oh, perfect. Those things go into that bin by my front door and I'll donate them the next time I go to the donation center. I'm not leaving anything in the box that we don't want to use because if we don't want to use it, that's a signal to me that it's no longer bringing joy and value and fun to our lives. And so we'll be done with that. It's okay to cycle through things. Uh, but I didn't immediately say, okay, what should we go out and buy to replace those electronic spider webs? The next time we see something that we're like, oh, we all just agree it will be really, really fun. Maybe we'll consider adding something to our Halloween collection. But for now, everything feels great. Like we really like the way that the house looks. The kids had fun decorating. I had fun decorating and it's good. So I think that um, just like knowing that of course, it's okay to have Halloween decorations or Christmas decorations or whatever. And some people will love that. Like, love. My sister loves decorating, mm-hmm. like, it's a part of her soul. She probably has a dozen boxes or more of Halloween decorations. She probably could fill an entire storage room with Christmas decorations. This is part of, like, her absolute joy of her life. Yeah, it's like her thing. It's her thing. It's one of her things. And so I would never say, oh, but that's wrong because yeah. you have too much stuff. If she's using it and she loves it and it's bringing her joy, then she should do it. And that probably means that there's a lot of other stuff that won't fit in her storage room that she'll have to make decisions about. It probably means that instead of hanging out with friends or going to lunch during, you know, sometimes during the holidays, she'll be, you know, putting out or putting away the, her decorations. Like all of that stuff needs management and that takes time. And if that's something she's willing to do, like I don't want to go do this other activity with my friends or family because I I'm going to be managing my decorations. That's absolutely something she should be able to do and like feel so excited about it. And she loves it. I mean, the whole thing is a process like Christmas music, put it all out. Uh Christmas music, put it all away, you know, like, so that's great. It doesn't happen to be my thing, but that doesn't mean it's wrong for it to be someone else's. I mean, the putting out is so fun. The putting away of the Christmas ornaments and the tree that, I could do without, but I am always excited. Like I'm always ready to get the tree down and like put everything away. It's just that process is like a third of the fun of the putting it up process. Right. right. You, yeah. You know, it's so funny. So years ago we decided in our, we, we learned about a tradition called King's day, which I was not raised where King's day was a celebration. I think it's a, I think it's, generally celebrated widely in Latin American countries, maybe some European countries definitely has some religious roots that were not part of like, like my religion didn't recognize it Uh very much. Uh, I had never heard of it until I was an adult. But we loved the idea. So it's, um, it's on January 5th and 6th, like, so the night of the 5th is when we celebrate. And it's kind of the close. It's so if you count from Christmas Day, which is the first day of Christmas, 12 days to the 12th day of Christmas, you get to King's Day. Okay. And so um, this is historically Christmas tide. Like this is when you would do Advent leading up to Christmas. And then Christmas Day was day one of Christmas. You'd celebrate for two weeks or, or 12 days. And then the end of Christmas was when the Kings came. And that would kind of was the bookend of the 
of the Christmas celebration closure, right? So commercially in the United States, especially Christmas is over the day or two after Christmas because you need to clear everything away. So you're ready for the new year and for new year celebration. And because we decided to personally as a family adopt this, uh, this tradition of King's day, we leave our holiday decorations up until January 5th. And we kind of close out Christmas with another little family celebration. We have a fun dinner. We make a king's cake. Like we, you know, and it has been so fun because I noticed that sort some of the frantic energy of people. I mean, I only notice online really because I don't like go into other people's houses yeah. all the time in the week between Christmas and New Year. But even with my sisters, I have three sisters, and there there's this hustle to like, oh my gosh, I have four days to get everything down so that my house is cleared out, uh-huh. and it's like. We're all disgusted with Christmas the day after Christmas <laughs> yeah. because we've been celebrating and, you know, we're like, oh, I'm over it. I just have to clear everything away and be ready for the new year. And when we just decided to do this extended Christmas, like a more historic take on Christmas tide and feeling like there isn't like, yeah, the new year happens, but that isn't a hard deadline to have everything Christmas put away it has just been such a relief for us. And it's not, not only is it like fun, it adds to our celebration because we look forward to this additional sort of little Christmas perk a week out, you know, a couple weeks after, after Christmas. Uh, But it also just, it set my own timeline. I, I was able to reset and have a purpose and like, I'm not frantically taking everything down before New Year because I know that we're going to continue celebrating for for a few more days. And just it's so funny how just giving myself permission to not adhere to the commercially or like Pinterest or Instagram accepted ideal that like everything needs to be done. So my house is beautifully clean again so I can take pictures of it for New Year's Day. That has felt so good. And there's just something about like giving ourselves the grace of like not adhering to other people's ideals or timelines, but believing that we can make those decisions for ourselves and we can be in the driver's seat of our own lives, our own traditions, our own likes and dislikes. And really like um, my book, More Than Enough, I talk a lot about this, the heart of um, really getting to know yourself and allowing you, you to live the life that you want. We receive so many messages about the way things should be done. Mm-hmm. And we like hold our, our life as, up as a mirror to everyone else's to see if we're, if we're doing it right. And my, I guess one of the things that I feel really strongly about sharing, especially for women, especially for moms is that you get to choose what right looks like. There isn't a doing it right or doing it wrong. Like you get to choose what kind of mom you want to be. You get to choose how many clothes you want to have. You get to choose whether you want to live in a big giant house on a big lot, or if you want to live in a little tiny cozy house, we, you know, downsized when we moved a few years ago into 1400 square feet with our three kids and our dog. And we have never been happier. And it's easy to look at all of the people doing bigger, better, faster, stronger on the internet and think, man, we're just not as successful as those other people. Or we don't have as, you know, I don't have a five car garage and like a bunch of mini cars for my kids to drive, you know, Uh and I'm like, but I don't want that. And that's okay. Like I, it's good for her and good for me, you know? It's so, so May have had a little soapbox moment there. (laughs) No, it's so good. Yeah. And I, I, well, I love the day, the King's Day idea because I also love it because after a big celebration or holiday or birthday or whatever, there's always this like coming down period and it kind of like lessens that I'm sure. It totally does. And it eases, I, th- I feel like it helps too. Like we try to be really focused on, I mean, we are a family of faith and we love to celebrate Jesus at Christmas. And I feel like we also 
you know, it's really easy to get wrapped up in. It's so easy to say, oh yeah, the reason for the season, blah, blah, blah. And then spend all of your time and money shopping on Amazon or Target or like stressing about the decorations and the, and the family dinner when really it's like, I think just giving ourselves some personal family cues of what our values are, like what matters to us. And then being able to, it just helps like create our own little guidelines, I guess, for, for how we want to celebrate and what matters most to us. Yeah. And you've also, by the way, encouraged me to go get rid of this. We have this like little Jeep that the kids used to drive. And um, you were just talking about like cars, mini cars for all my kids. And um, it's like literally been broken for a year. And sometimes my two-year-old goes and sits in it and like, you know, tools around, but it is totally unnecessary. It is just taking up space in our garage. We're never going to fix it because we are the kind of people that don't fix things like you. Mm-hmm. So like, I need to just put that in the alley and let someone pick it up and do what they let want. Someone grab it. It if they want. Totally. Oh my gosh. And you'll feel so good. Like, and your kids won't notice. That's a funny thing. We think, oh, no, yeah. we often think like our kids are the reason that we're holding on to things that are theirs and like, no, no. It's all because we have some emotional attachment to that stuff, not our kids. Well, totally. Though I will say, I so many times I've when I've decluttered the the um, playroom, I've got like a trash bag going. I'm throwing stuff in there. I do have to be a little bit like sly about things because some of my kids will be like, "What's in the bag? What you got there? Oh. What are you doing <laughs> yeah. with that stuff?" And I'm like, "No, nothing. We're just you know kind of moving it around, you know, because they won't notice, you know, if they have." 50 stuffies they won't notice that 10 of them are gone and I don't know if anybody listening deals with this and you tell me if if you have dealt with this the stuffy situation are your kids into stuffies I have a pretty a a pretty hard and fast very limited stuffed animal tolerance and so my kids have never been into stuffed animals mostly because I would just say oh yeah you can look at it in the store but we are not bringing it home it's such a waste and so, yeah, my daughter does have, my daughter has probably three. My boys don't have any and they probably had one. My, my rule when they were young was one each, mm-hmm. like they could have one stuffed animal and that was it. If they wanted to up trade, like if they got one for their birthday, they could choose, do I want to hold on to the old one or mm-hmm. do I want to, I mean, this makes me sound so mean, but I was just <laughs> like, oh no, we do not need more than you can fit in your arms. And so my daughter now I've loosened up a little bit because she's the last one uh-huh. and she's, yeah, you know, so she has a unicorn and she does have two mermaids. Um, but you know, it's so funny. She doesn't play with them a lot. And I will tell you 100% one of the mermaids we will keep forever because yeah. I love it. Like I made it for her, for her third birthday. I like it. I feel like it's mine more than hers almost. So when we move it out of her room, I'll just put it in a heirloom box. Cause I actually do. I have a, again, I'm pretty ruthless and, and low tolerance for the types of stuff we keep for a long time. But I feel like that was something I will want to re-gift to her daughter or, yeah. you know, someday. Oh my gosh. Yes. The stuff, I mean, actually my, my big boys have kind of have grown out of the phase a little bit, but there was a phase where like stuffies were all the hype, just those little TY, like they're like beanie babies. I oh guess. yeah. Like, the they came back. Ones. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I swear they were popular a long time ago, went away and like big boom. And they're really easy to buy because they're, they're like six right bucks. Now. Yeah. They're like super inexpensive. In, like, yeah. yeah, I just, I feel like the best thing, and I think for all of my kids' stuff, I kind of just, I'll give them a limit. Like, as the mom, I'll say you can have five stuffed animals total, or you, all of your toys need to fit in this basket, and as soon as the basket's overflowing, you get to be in charge. You get to choose what stays and what goes, but I am delineating the space. So I think that sometimes it's more a matter of like, okay, 
choose your five favorites yeah. and letting them make those choices. Um, and because that also teaches them, I mean, it's really important as kids, we probably didn't learn how to declutter, yeah. how to make hard choices about things. Like I, I like all of it. Can't I keep all of it? And sometimes the, the answer is like, no, you can like all of it, but there have to be some favorites. You can't just like everything and own everything that you like. Um, one of my favorite things actually that I've learned in the last few years is this is going to sound really dumb, but it's very true. I can love something and not own it. Mm -hmm. I can go to a store and see something that I'm like, wow, that is beautiful. Like either a dress or a pair of shoes or like a ceramic bowl or something that I'm like, wow, that's really great. It's great design. I, I love it. I can see how I would use it even. And that doesn't mean that doesn't equal, I should buy it and bring it home and do that with it. Like a lot of times, I mean, there are so many beautiful things to love in the world. But that doesn't mean we're supposed to own all of them. And the retailers would have us believe that. That totally. as soon as there's any sort of an emotional attachment to something that we should, that's our indication. Like, you love it, you take it home. And I'm like, no, no, that's not the way this works. I can love things and love them so much that I leave them in the store for someone who actually needs them. Because I don't need another dress right now. I don't need another ceramic bowl, you know? Hey, friends. A quick break here to let you all know we are part of the Sandy Boy Productions Network. We have three other podcasts in the network. I'll have another with Lindsay Hine. That is a podcast where I am the host and I interview everyday runners, professional runners, sprinters, long distance runners, marathoners, ultra runners, you name it. Anyone in the running scene, I'm interviewing over there. Um, the Up and Running podcast with Lauren and Abby, where they give you all the latest news in the elite and professional distance running scene. And then the Illuminate podcast, where myself, along with Kristen Sruer and Emma Benner, are bringing you stories of people doing good work in the world. Feel good stories, highlighting great nonprofits and... That's definitely a podcast you're going to want to check out. I thank you so much for being here. If you enjoy this episode, share it with the parent friends in your life. Anybody that is taking any part in raising kids, let them know about this podcast. That would be greatly appreciated. And I am so grateful you're here. All right. Enjoy the rest of my conversation with Miranda. I would love to give our listeners and myself like some sort of challenge to walk away from with this episode, like some sort of not too big of a challenge, but something that's going to, I think what I want to do is I want something that is going to bring me joy, something, and I know getting rid of things brings me joy, but also like we talked about, it can, if it overwhelms you and it's stressful, we need to find another way to do it. So do you have mm -hmm. any ideas for like a small project or just like, a, a couple things we could do to kind of start implementing this type of thinking that we've probably all wanted to do anyway into our lives. Yes. Okay. I want to give a three-step challenge. So people who feel very intimidated by this idea can start with just number one. People who feel like they're a little more ready can start with number with one and two. And then, uh, you know, some people may be able to do all three. Um, so number one, I feel like is foundational. And that is starting a daily gratitude practice. And so I'm going to invite everyone to do a daily gratitude practice for the next week. And what that involves for me is just simply writing down a few things each day that I'm grateful for. I used to do it only at night. Now I kind of do it anytime during the day. I write it down in a paper planner, which is what I use, but you could do it in a notes app on your phone. You could type it into a Google Doc. I think that with 
the 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 first step in recognizing that we don't need all of our stuff or as much as we have or that we don't need to continue to accumulate at the rate that we have been is giving ourselves some space to acknowledge where we are like mm. that we have so much and that we're surrounded by incredible things that are useful and valuable and meaningful and that maybe we even have more of that than we could reasonably use in our lifetime, you know? So I think starting with gratitude is always my favorite place to start. After that, for some people who they're like, that's all I'm going to do. I'd say, start with that. I think that's the most important step two would be to choose somewhere to do a small decluttering project. And I, my favorite places to recommend are either a junk drawer, which every house has one or underneath the sink in the bathroom. Mm. I think those are both spaces that are usually cluttered, filled with kind of who knows what, and they're pretty impersonal. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't recommend that someone dive into their closet and start like doing a massive de-junking of their closet, both because it takes a lot of time and because we're a lot more emotionally tied to things like our own personal clothes than we are to Sharpies and rubber bands and post-it notes. Mm -hmm. So the the phase, I have a, again, I have on my podcast in the early early episodes, I'm going to say maybe episode seven is how to organize anything. Okay. And it takes you through these steps. I think there's uh, five or six steps of how to organize anything. And I'll just quickly, I mean, the first one is always to take everything out, every single thing out, and then clean out the space itself, then categorize, decide what, what stays and what goes, and then to slowly start putting things back. There's a couple more kind of more nuanced steps in there, but that's the basics. I never recommend that someone organize something in place. Like don't just move stuff around yeah. within the drawer. Take everything out. We're tempted to do that because That's we're like, such oh, well, a I good point. look at it and see. Uh-huh. But don't do that. Take every single thing out and you'll find things that you didn't know were there or when you're actually holding it and looking at it, it's easier to evaluate. Yeah. And like, does this so even need to go back in? Like, what is it? Yeah. Or there's probably somewhere else that this belongs or, you know, why did we even keep all of these ketchup packets from the oh my gosh. three yes. weeks ago? You know, like, no. Um, so those are step one and two challenges. And then I would say that the third one, I think a week shopping pause is a great place Mm. to just bring some awareness to our habits, our personal habits. And so, um, we didn't talk about my my family spent a year. My, my whole book is about the, a year long shopping pause that my family did in 2017. I had three kids at the time. We lived in this big house and this was right after this was sort of the, the challenge, personal challenge that came out of that big blog post that I talked about buying $300 worth of belongings so that I could organize the stuff that I already had and didn't use. I decided to stop buying more stuff. And so we took 12 months off of buying anything that wasn't a consumable good like groceries or gas, no clothes, shoes, furniture, tech, books, toys, decorations, nothing that wasn't consumed to completion. And I'll tell you that one of the most incredible things that I learned was just how often I mindlessly was bringing things into my life. Mm -hmm. Like how easy it is. We don't even notice sometimes our habits to click and buy to like, oh, I'm already at the store getting milk and eggs. So I might as well grab a couple more paperbacks. You know, like just there's, we have like this open ended gate of inflow to our lives. And then we don't, we have a closed gate of exit. And so of course we're getting all stopped up because it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, our houses have become this dam of belongings and nothing, everything comes in, but nothing goes out. So I like to address the problem starting from the in 
And so I'd, I'd recommend people who are interested in just getting a little bit more awareness and insight into their own habits for shopping to take a seven day break of buying anything that isn't, you know, gas or groceries and see what happens, see what you would have bought. And, you know, you could, you can think, gosh, I probably would have bought this random thing that I didn't need. Or maybe after the week is it has ended, you realize that you actually do want that thing and you can now have a little bit more insight into why and what value will add and what you're going to do with it. You know, so I just think that that's a great experiment of awareness. I love that. And I love that you just do seven days because seven days is not that massive of a commitment. But we probably will all notice that we spent we get on Amazon a lot more frequent than every seven yeah, days. Totally. No, I would I would guess that in our especially after quarantine and everything oh, I think yeah. in our current climate, there are probably people who are buying new things every single day. Yeah. Um I yeah, I have in my I have your book and the twelve months no shopping as a talking point and I wanna ask, what was the hardest part about that? Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> there are a lot of like, there are a lot of challenging things, uh, just confronting like the basic systems of consumption and how that is it, it, kind of brutal. Like, wow, I really do like buy stuff and think that I really do think that all of these things are going to add value to mm -hmm. my life and help make me more successful. Like that was, that was just a tough thing to confront emotionally. And I think mm -hmm. it was a really positive thing. Um, as far as categories, funny enough, books were my weakness. Like they were my uh -huh. hardest thing. I love to read. I read a ton and I am, I mean, they're just sort of, it is something I feel like I can constantly consume. And so I, um, became a huge, I had already liked going to the library sometimes, but it kind of felt inconvenient other yeah. times. Like I would rather just spend $5 and get the book than yeah take the kids to the library. But during that year, we formed a really solid library habit. And I learned to love the library for more than just being able to borrow books, like for the programming and for the quiet spaces and getting out of the house, but also into somewhere that was like on a bad weather day, my kids could go sit down and hang out in the library. And so we, it, I just felt like not only did I not, I like not buy as many hardcover books. I didn't buy any during that year, but I also formed this new sort of attachment to community spaces. And that was really positive, like on both accounts. So books were the hardest thing. Yeah. I do not buy. I am also a big reader and I, I'm like 50, 50. Cause I mean, a lot of times with buying a book, it's just the instant gratification, especially if you're like, oh, I want to read that book. I can just buy it and put it on my Kindle for $10 or whatever. Mm -hmm. I just, I just got on the waiting list for anxious people. Have you read that book yet by Fred, Frederick no. Bachman? Um, he's the author of the book called a man, a man called a man named Ave, do you know that book? Uve, uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, I knew I was going to say it wrong. So he's the same author, and this I think this is his newest book, so it's like everybody's talking about it, but um, I went to get on the wait list for at the library, and I think I'm like 58 on the wait list, <laughs> and so everything in me wants to just go purchase the book because I can, because yeah. it's $10, but I'm like, no, just wait your turn. You, there are other Please. things you can read and then when it comes to you, you'll be that much more excited about it. You just patience. Totally. Patience is such a good, yeah, actually this week's podcast is going to talk a little bit about patience. Yeah, it, it is funny. That was definitely a, there's a whole chapter in my book about patience. It's definitely an underutilized value that, you know, it's just so easy. Everything is, is instant right now. And um, there's, there's so some real instant. value to learning to wait for good things, you know? 
what was the first thing you bought after the 12 months that was not necessary? <laughs> um, the first kind of fun thing, this is actually kind of a funny story. So the, I, I don't remember, I mean, it was not like the first week, like yeah. once, once we hit January, 2018, everyone thought I would have this running list of yeah. things that I would like have to go out and get. And I was, by that time, it was so normal to not shop that it like it took a few weeks before I realized like, oh, I, I actually could go. I think I replaced a pair of Converse tennis shoes because I had walked all the way through them and they had holes in the soles. So I couldn't even wear them anymore. So I I got a new pair, pair of Converse, just like basic tennis shoes. I had to get a couple shirts because, again, I had worn through some like basic T-shirts that I just wanted to be able to keep my sort of edited wardrobe in mm-hmm. function. And um, the, the first fun thing I bought was this Magnolia dollhouse from Target. Um, it was sort of right around the time that the, that hearth and hand uh, came to uh-huh. the target stores and I had seen them and the dollhouse that I thought was so cute had come out around Christmas time, but we had decided to do a gift of uh, a trip, a family trip instead of gifts for the kids, obviously, cause we weren't buying gifts. And so we did this family trip instead. And I remember seeing it and thinking, Oh, that's too bad. I can't get that because I really like it. And then funny story, I bought it for my daughter, like in February and, uh, or March it was still around, like it was still in the store. So I was lucky I found one. I bought it. We, we moved it into the house. She played with it like maybe for 30 minutes total during the whole time that we owned it. And I, I thought it was really cute, styled in her room and, you know, all this stuff. And then after about six months, I realized like she's not playing with it. Like there's no reason for it to be here. She had other things that she liked to play with more. It was very much like I thought it was cute. And so I thought <laughs> she must like it. And then she didn't really like it. And so I, I sold it on Facebook Marketplace six months later. And I, I mean, it was just such a dumb, funny, like, oh, this is exactly yeah. the thing. Like, yep. we buy these things that we think that we want or we think that will make our lives better. And like, turns out my daughter didn't want to play with that cute dollhouse. She was just as happy. You know, she brought all her dolls into the living room anyway. So like, why do we have this $150 dollhouse sitting on the floor in a room that I have to clean every day, you know? Anyway, so that's what we absolutely. I mean, there have been things that we bought that we have absolutely loved, but I usually like to give something a little bit of a like time trial ahead yeah. of time now. Like, uh-huh. I want my kids to think about and play with and like show how they're going to really use things. And now my boys are old enough, they're nine and 11. I invite them to save up for things that they want to buy as well so that they feel as invested as as I do. So we have a rule that if they want something that's sort of out of like a a birthday or Christmas gift type of thing that they save half the money for it. And they just earn money by doing chores and babysitting. And, and so I feel like that is really helpful too, because there's a lot of things that my kids are like, Oh, I really want this. And then they realize that half of it is $30. And then they're like, well, I don't really want to spend three Saturdays babysitting for this dumb thing. And then that's the end of the story. You know, like I, I think that it's uh, again, just good, helpful lessons oh, for yeah. our kids to learn. And I love the idea of a trip instead of gifts. And I think, I think that, you know, that's a kind of a common thing. Like, Hey, you telling, cause I think a lot of parents say, what do you do about grandparents? Like, you know, aunts and uncles, people that just give your kids all kinds of toys. And that's a common response is like, have them gift you like a pass to a museum or movie tickets or something like that. Totally. But the thing about the trip is like, I don't, we don't spend that much on our kids for Christmas. So like a trip is, is ultimately going to be a lot more than what we would buy them for Christmas. Right. Yeah. Well, it kind of depends on what kind of trip. Right. Sure. And so you could decide you're going to do like a staycation. And so then the trip is like, 
the cost of a couple nights of a hotel nearby. Oh, that's a good idea. And that is still a trip. Like, that's a valid trip. I mean, my kids, especially the, the ages of your kids, where your your youngest is two, you said, and your oldest is what? Eight. I mean, your eight-year-old probably isn't like yearning for a trip to Europe. Like, yeah. He, he probably, or she is probably just as thrilled at like a hotel with yeah. a breakfast buffet and a pool. Yeah, totally. And that could be like an hour from home, you know? So I think that, I think that people do get the idea kind of like you have this idea of like, oh, a trip has to be a big trip. It has to be an international trip. It has to be a big expensive trip. And like, no, it can be like a camping trip. It yeah. can be a, it could be a bunch of like, not even overnight. It could be like a day trip to a really fun place nearby. Yeah. No, um, that's a good point. Yeah. So our trip was a bigger trip. I mean, that year we took our kids to Italy, but I, we live you, in. You didn't shop the entire year. <laughs> We didn't shop. The, yeah, we didn't shop the entire year. And I, in September, started thinking about it. And I saw flights to Italy for $200 a piece. Round wow. trip. We live on the East Coast. And so that's, that's less than, that's less than usual living. We, we flew out of Washington. $200? $200. It was $225 round trip from Washington, D.C. to Rome. And so I texted my husband and I was like, and it actually, so here's the other thing. The trip was for April. So I bought the tickets in uh, September for uh-huh. the trip in April. And we, for Christmas, we gave our kids uh, um, a big box that had a chain, a paper chain that counted down all of the oh, days fun. until spring break when we actually went on the trip. So it wasn't only that. It was like we not only had our whole year of not shopping, but we had an additional five months to continue, like, saving up and, you know, for all of our souvenirs and whatever. Like, this, we didn't have to book anything except for the flights until later. And yeah. so it was, it was really fun and just like so lovely and so memorable and one of our favorite things we've done, you know, and we just generally as a family have very, we've, we've well established that as a family, we prefer experiences, adventures and travel over stuff. And so we will just always, that's always going to be our priority. So your youngest was five when you did that trip? See, that feels doable to me. Like big travel. I mean, I, yeah. I, you know, you hear people say like, oh, we've always traveled with our kids. And I'm like, that's fine. But like, it is not fun traveling far with a, a two-year-old. It's just, it's just not. And there are certain yeah. things you can do. And if people want to like tough it out and do it, that's great. But to me, it sounds really beautiful to do that with, um, you know, your youngest being five, not that there probably weren't hardships and people were fighting about things and, you know, the regular kid stuff happens, but like, that sounds like a really, really nice spot to be in. It was, yeah, it was a great, we decided no diapers, strollers, or yeah. car seats yeah. and that for an international trip. Yeah. And, um, it was perfect. Uh, we loved it. And yeah, of course, traveling with kids is the same as traveling right? is, is just like having kids at home, except for you're all somewhere more fun Mm -hmm. doing interesting things together. So yeah, of course you kind of have to mentally prepare for like, they're still kids. They're going to be hungry. They're going to be tired. They're going to fight sometimes. And I totally think that the parent's attitude can override a lot of that too. And you just, you be excited to be there and they'll, you know, maybe pick up some pieces of that and feel excited as well. So I love it. Okay. We're going to wrap up with end of podcast questions. I would love to have you back on to talk about um, meal planning and capsule wardrobes. Like I have so many other oh my topics. Gosh, I've got, 
Totally. I've got lots of systems for that stuff too. So I'd be happy to share more in the future. Okay. So we'll do another episode where we can get specific on those topics. But for now, everybody knows what their challenge is. We'll start with gratitude list. I will, I will start doing this myself too. And we'll post about it on our Instagram. Why is everyone yelling? So we can kind of hold each other accountable. Um, okay, Miranda, <laughs> what is something professionally or personally that you would like to do that you still haven't done yet? So I, this is kind of like a big thing out there, but I would like to, I would like to have a show Mm. and I've talked about the home edit. I talked about Marie Kondo. I actually have talked to a a production company, um, a little bit and then COVID kind of shut things down this year. So we, I had, I've had some feelers out there and I don't know exactly. I mean, my idea would be to do like a realistic uh, practical minimalism, simplifying life show, uh, just like, you know, even just one, one series would be really fun to show in real life, some of these things. And, and it may, and it may be something I end up just doing myself on YouTube at some point, but I think it's really, these are applicable, important topics that people feel empowered when they learn and understand and are able to apply in their own life. So some sort of show I would love. That is so exciting. And and I think that the way you go about this, just like we talked about in the episode, like the not all at once, it doesn't have to look exactly like this kind of deal. I think that makes it feel so much more realistic, realistic to everybody. So I'm going to be the first person on the list to apply for you to come to my home. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. Uh, I'll do it. Yes. Okay. What's, what is the best, most recent book you read? I heard you say you've already read like 50 books this year or something crazy like that. Well, I think you're like into the, into the eighties right now. But, okay. It um, might've been an older podcast episode I was listening to, I know, but yeah. It's so funny. I wanted to read a hundred this year and then I'm, I'll be, I'll be well over that. Oh I'm, yeah. I'm, I am loving reading right now. It's one of my favorite escapes. I mean, I love reading anyway. Um, one book that I really like that I just read, and actually this is a middle grade book because I read it because my son, I'm having him read it for uh, his fourth grade class like homeschool Mm -hmm. um the book is called Esperanza Rising and I think it was a a, some sort of award winner um it's just a really great story about a girl I love a female protagonist in a book um a a girl who grew up in Mexico and she ends up uh, becoming an immigrant in California working in the uh, agriculture industry and some of the things that she learns and overcomes as she's sort of displaced and then she has to kind of pull, you know, decide that she has the grit and the uh, skill to survive and thrive in a world unlike her own. And I just thought it was like a tale for, for any time, you know, and the type of, um, the type of positive sort of uplifting yet still challenging experience that a lot of us go through. So that's called Esperanza Rising. I really liked it. Do you have like a running list somewhere? Are you on Goodreads? Do you do you keep track of, you know, of your books? I keep track of them on paper. I'm so analog when it comes to really anything having to do with like checklists or creativity uh-huh. or like ideas. Like I write everything down. And so I have started, I have a draft on my blog. It's not on the blog yet where I'm doing a just like a two sentence review of all of the books that I've read this year. And so I need to, hopefully in the next couple of weeks I'll push publish and then I can just add to them as I go. But I tried to do Goodreads. It's just like another platform Uh side of what I do. And so I figured 
on my blog is where I am anyway, you know, doing my show notes and a blog post every week or two. And so I think I'm going to just turn my book list into a blog post. So in the next few weeks, that'll be up. Oh, good. I'm sure people will be excited to hear that because any I, I probably read a third of what you read, which I still feel like is probably a, a pre- lot. Yeah, it's still probably a lot compared to most people. And people are always like, where is your list of books? And I'm like, I don't know. In my head, sometimes I track it on yeah. Goodreads, but I do. I do like the idea of tracking it. It feels that feels fun to me. I really like writing it down. And it's funny because I've read so many this year that I I actually I've done it by like I've written them down in order and then divided it in my notebook by month mm-hmm. and it's very funny how my book reads have just reflected what was happening wow. in the world yeah um there was a time at the very beginning of quarantine when all I could do was read like super lighthearted beach read uh-huh. sort of books and then I went heavy heavy into social justice books and then I almost like hit a wall that way. And I'm like, okay, I need to consciously incorporate more writers of color into, you know, and stories that are own stories into my books, but I also needed some more fiction. And so it's kind of been like a little bit of a, a a mashup since then. But I'm like, I mean, I, when I read like six or seven straight beach read fiction romance books, I'm like, oh, I just needed to have a break from life. Yeah. But, you know, like I needed emotionally to turn everything off and just like go somewhere else. And um, normally I read a pretty good mix of fiction and nonfiction, but I, I've had a lot of, I, I've read, definitely read a lot more nonfiction this year just because I didn't want to, I, I didn't have the bandwidth to like continually be learning new things to improve. I just needed to use reading time to go somewhere else, you know? Oh, totally. And I normally, like I never, I always finish a book even if I don't love it, but I was I was venturing into my next like self-helpy book and I was like halfway through it and I just wasn't enjoying it. And I, I thought, Lindsay, this is like such a, it's like the same iteration of the book you just read. You, if you don't uh-huh. love it, you don't need just to continue. Just put it down. So yeah. I, I just took it back to the library and I was like, I'm not doing it. And I never do that because I usually read like, you know, like a self-helpy and a fun book. Uh-huh. Um, but at the beginning of quarantine, the first book I remember reading was The Silent Patient. Have you read that? I haven't read it. It's a good book, but it's like a page turner and kind of like a thriller kind of book. And so yeah. it was a little bit intense. A for, little intense. Yeah. Like you were saying, you were reaching for all the beach reads. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. Do you have um, like a favorite kids book that your your kids have all loved at any age? Yeah, so we have a couple. My favorite one, um, one of our favorite kids' books is Charlotte the Scientist is Swished. Have you heard of this book? No. Okay, it's so cute. It's written by Camille Andros, who actually is one of my friends that I I have met recently. Um, It's about a little bunny who lives with her family of like tons of tons of other little bunnies, and she just can't get her own space. And so she uses the scientific method to figure out how to get her own space, like solve this problem. And we love the characters. It's really cute. Uh, and I just love like the way that it teaches in a fun way about like being, you know, being curious and like, what do you think is going to happen and experimenting? Like, I feel like I use the scientific method in just my general life all the time. So I love for my kids to like, I, I often, my kids will have a problem and I'll say, okay, what can you do? What do you think will happen if you try this or that? And, and I, I just love, that's like the basis of everything that we do. So that's a really fun one. Um, 
The other one that I was going to say is not like a, it's not a picture book, but one of my very, very favorite books from the time I was young that now both of my boys have read and I'll read it to my daughter in a couple of years is Stargirl by Jerry Spinelli. Are you familiar with that? No. Oh my gosh. This book, I feel like everyone should own it. Um, it's just, it's another one of these, like, uh, it's a female protagonist is a girl who's been homeschooled. Uh, who goes to school in junior high and she calls herself star girl and she is unlike anyone has ever met or seen. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to put her in a box. Like she's not a jock. Mm. She's not a dancer. She's not a popular girl, but she's not a nerd. Like they can't figure out what to do with her because she's so herself and so unique. And I just, I remember as a 12, 13 year old reading this and feeling like it's okay for me to be me. And how often that has come up over and over and over again throughout my life. And so I, it's a book that I want my kids to internalize as well. That like, you can be whoever you want to be and that's going to be okay. Oh, it sounds so good. What age range did you say this book was? So I'd say probably it's, it's written about like a 11, 12 year old girl. So I would say probably like 10, 10 ish, nine ish, 10 ish. will get it. Okay. They'll like be able to relate to some of those feelings. Um, yeah, I think it's a perfect, like fourth, fifth, all the way up through maybe like uh, 10th grade kind of a read. Oh, it's good. I have not. And this is just an embarrassing mom thing. I, I have not done a good job um, instilling my oldest, the love of reading with my oldest. And I'm trying to, I mean, we've always read to him. I remember one of the first pieces of advice unsolicited advice you know you get that when you become a mom but it was like a very welcomed you know some of the advice you get is like very welcomed you're very thankful for and um someone I really look up to she said hey listen just read to your kids like even when they're babies just read to your kids so I always made sure to do that but since he's been able to you know learn to read on his own I haven't pushed a love of books to him you know Mm -hmm. and I feel a little bit guilty about it and I've been recently trying to talk to him about it like hey buddy like what you don't realize is that when you get really into a story and really invested in the characters, it's just as good as any TV show or movie. It's just a different way of receiving the information. Mm-hmm. And I just, he, he doesn't get it yet. He's only eight. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. That's really kind of one of the, I mean, I feel like that's, I'm not a reading expert by any means, but I definitely have a little family of, of readers. And I think that one more than the, one more than the other of my older boys I think that one thing that my mom told me, and actually one of my good friends is a reading specialist, a reading blogger, her name's Jansen. And I would highly recommend her blog, um, everyday reading. Okay. She talks a lot about how to help your kids learn to love to read and Ooh. raising readers. Um, one of the things she talks about is how audiobooks are really great because you actually learn as much about reading through an audiobook as you do actually physically reading a book. And it's a lot easier for kids who are um, maybe not as fluent at reading the mm-hmm. words themselves to get into the story when they listen to someone else tell it. And I've noticed that with my older son, he loves when I read to him, mm-hmm. but he doesn't, it takes a little bit longer for him to get into a story on his own. Yes. The other thing that my mom told me that I love this advice. And I think I learned to read because my mom loved to read and she was always reading. She took a book with her everywhere she went. She like when she had downtime, she was reading. And so I learned like, there must be something cool about that because she does it all the time. And so I learned to love to read by watching my mom read. And one of the things she said was let them read whatever they want Mm. because we sometimes want to micromanage like, Oh, I heard this is a good book for a kid your age, or this is a book that will help, or this is a book that I loved. And while I do do some of that and I make sure those books are available, 
I let my kids figure out what they want to read. And honestly, sometimes it's like graphic, another graphic novel. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, another dog man. Like, why are we reading dog man again? You know, but I don't get it. But that's what they love to read. And if, if they want to just read like piles and piles of graphic novels and of like adventure books or of, of what, you know, whatever it is, like comic books, even like whatever lights their little reading heart up that's what they should read, like a magazine or like, you know, see what they're drawn to, um, take them to the bookstore and just let them choose a couple books that look really interesting to them, even if they're not ones that you would think are on the right grade level or whatever, because they'll, as they have some autonomy, I think that's where they learn to really love it because they're reading what they want to read. Oh, that's so good. And I also have now, I'm going to reach out to this friend of yours that has a blog about that because it sounds like that would be a really great podcast topic. Yeah, she is great. Yeah, you would love to. She'd she'd be great on the show. Okay, Miranda, here's the last one. What message do you want to leave our listeners with today? Uh, This is such a good, big final question. I think that the message that I want to leave with with your listeners is that, that they don't need to have or do anything more in order to be enough. Mm. I think that so often we are, we're just hustling for our worth and we think we're hustling for success or for financial freedom or for, um, you know, having a, a cute kitchen. Like we think that there are these external things. That's the reason that we want all of this. And I think, uh, at the end of the day, for most of us, all of that hustle is a front for feeling like we aren't good enough, that we're not doing enough, that we're not showing up enough. And, um, and that's just not true. Like we are inherently whole. We're inherently good. And we're inherently everything that we need in order to live the life that we want. And what we do or have may add to something physical, but it it can't add to anything uh, essential because that is already intact for each of us. So hopefully someone who's listening needs to hear that message that you're doing enough, you are enough, you have enough. And, uh, and it's, it's okay to let yourself just rest in that for a little while and, and really let that sink in. Ah, so good. Thank you so much, Miranda. That's such a wonderful message. Thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a great time chatting. All right, friends. Make sure if you do any sort of purge or closet cleaning or getting rid of challenge after hearing this episode that you tag us on your stories in social media, tag why is everyone yelling on Instagram as well as Miranda so we can see the progress you are making. Love it. So fun. All right. I will do the same personally on my own Instagram as well. All right. Thank you so much for being here, everybody. Thank you, Miranda, for sharing your spirit, your energy, your enthusiasm for this work and encouraging us to live simply and get rid of that stuff. And you all can find Miranda at Live Free Miranda over on Instagram. Make sure you go check out her book, More Than Enough. And her website is livefreecreative.co. I love that so much because I do feel that I'm more creative when I'm free of extra stuff in my life. So that's a great name for a business there. Everything we talked about will be in the show notes, sandyboyproductions.com. You can get on our email list. So the show notes with all the book recommendations and things like that, that we talk about every episode can be delivered directly to your inbox. Just email Emma 
my assistant, my amazing assistant. This woman is doing amazing work for this company, for Sandy Boy Productions. Um, email Emma at Emma at SandyBoyProductions.com and we'll get you on the email list. All right, friends. Thank you so much for being here. I can hear my four-year-old downstairs dancing to the breakfast burrito song and the chicken nugget song. So I'm going to go get my dance on for like five minutes before I pick my big boys up from school now. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week.